Sometimes what kids think the problem is, it's not about that problem. There is a spiritual issue going on. There are two spirits that are at war and we are caught in the middle. Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it, we keep it reals. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Welcome to another episode of Mama Bear Apologetics. I'm Hillary. And I'm Amy. And so today we're continuing in our super apologetics oriented uh, thing on the Israeli-Palestinian controversy conflict that's going on right now um, that a lot of people might say, like, why are you wading into this? But because this is dealing with Israel, this absolutely has implications, not only for us as Christians, but for apologetics. So in our previous podcast, and I apologize, I'm looking at my notes over here, we went through a crash course in what's going on, like understanding terminology, uh, who the fighting's between. We, we talked about a lot of terms. Um, who has the right to the land. Um, and today we wanted to go through some of the most commonly asked questions, namely, why should Israel matter for Christians? Like, uh, shouldn't we stay out of politics for the sake of the gospel? And we're actually going to talk about why we as Christians absolutely need to be involved in any conversations that are going on with um, regarding Israel. Uh, second most common question, what the heck is going on on college campuses with all the youth um, protesting in favor of Palestine. Like, where is this coming from? Um, and then finally, probably the, the question that's on everybody's mind is, is it, is it even possible to ever negotiate a two-state solution? So, but there was like kind of a couple of disclaimers we wanted to make before we started. Amy, um, why don't you go into those? We just wanted to reaffirm what we do here at Mama Bear. And one thing we want to reiterate is our goal here at Mama Bear is to bring people who are speaking truth. So mm -hmm. we will fact check the individuals that we are referencing. And if they're speaking truth, we are 100% going to cite them because, again, they are speaking truth regardless of how you might feel about that individual. So yeah. we just want to encourage folks that because mm -hmm. we are doing our best to look at both sides of the issues, we may reference a, a site, a source, a person, a book that you may not personally agree with. That doesn't mean that we are affirming absolutely everything that individual has ever produced or endorsed. Because yes. honest to goodness, if that was the case, then we would not be able to cite anyone that disagrees with our worldview, because then that would basically account to a blanket endorsement. And yeah. that's just not what, what we're doing. So when we reference someone, it's mm -hmm. because they're speaking truth and what they're saying is relevant to the current conversation at hand. So we apologize if that just doesn't sit well with some of you, but sorry, our pursuit is after truth, not necessarily about operating within an people. echo chamber. Yes, not operating within an echo chamber. Um, but also just notice that we're also just looking for accuracy. And if someone has something that's a very, very succinct, accurate description of something, even if we don't like the way they present things or they've presented other things, 
we're still going to use it because it's a nice, succinct, accurate representation of something. So uh, yeah, we just wanted to make sure that people know that. And also I want to, both Amy and I want to give permission that um, obviously, even though we try to research both sides, we've been looking at basically, we've been studying the Hamas charter for like days now. Um, if we are incorrect in something that we say, we absolutely want us, we got to tell you. In fact, I think it was someone actually corrected me that the Edomites were not the descendants of uh, Ishmael. It's the Ishmaelites. I think later on the Edomites were Oh, golly, what? Ah, I'm going to get it wrong again. But anyway, so we're correcting that. So if there's ever something we say that's factually incorrect, please let us know. Um, and uh, if there's more to maybe the other side of the story that you think we need to know, please put that in the comments and link sources, preferably Links, things that yes. are yeah that are not op-ed pieces, but like actual facts that are going on that we absolutely want to be objective in what we're doing. So that's kind of our disclaimer for tonight. So we're going to hop right into... Um, these questions on should Israel matter for the Christians, what's going on in college campuses, and why can't we just negotiate a two-state solution? So um, first off, this idea of why does it matter what um, is going on with Israel? And I always keep coming back to the original blessing of God. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And if we look at through history, every single kingdom that has ever come up against the Jewish nation stop being a world power. Uh, right. let, let's think of it, you know, Spain, Germany, the Roman Empire. And well, and I think it's it's so important to remember too, Hillary, is just because we are in support of Israel, that doesn't necessarily mean we support absolutely everything that Israel yes. does. Because yes. in Israel's history is a lot of backsliding and falling <laughs> away from God and outright disobedience. So yeah. this doesn't necessarily mean we're affirming absolutely everything that Israel has ever done. However, it does mean that we are aligned with God's mm -hmm. promise, his covenant with his people. Yeah, if we look at the place where uh, God is talking to Elijah, and this is, um, I believe that Elijah was in the Northern Kingdom, where Northern Kingdom was like, there was never a good king. Out of all the, there was 20 kings in the Northern and 20 in the Southern, I believe. All of the kings in the Northern Kingdom were bad. I think we had eight that were good in the Southern Kingdom. Uh, but that's where Elijah was, uh, was prophesying to. But God said to him, I have reserved for myself 7,000 prophets who have not bowed their knee to another. That would be what the true Israel is. God is saying, these are my actual people, but they are still Israel. And so the reason why Israel should matter to us, first of all, is just the fact that um, we are called that they, they really are the vine that we are grafted into. I mean, Christ is the vine. Uh, and we are the branches, but yeah. as we're going to talk about later, some of the passages where it talks about us as Gentiles being grafted in. So that's and what why are some passages, Hillary, that you found yeah. that really support this? Yes, we need to look at the fact that God made unconditional promises to Israel, and a lot of people even say, "Well, that's made for the church now." No, this is still for Israel. So we've got. Um, Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that the waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me uh, forever. Forever, forever. What movie is that from? <laughs> forever. Um, thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth can be explored, then I'll cast off the offspring of Israel for all they have done. We go on later in Psalm 89, 35 through 37. 
once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. This is the Lord talking. He's like, this is my holiness that's at stake. I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne, as long as the sun is before me, like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness to the skies. So when we are looking at Israel, we have to take into account that Israel is tied to God's promises. When he says forever, he means forever. And because he means forever for Israel, we can trust that he means forever for us as Christians. Um, and it, it talks about how there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, barbarian, Scythian, but Christ is all and is in all that we are part of that brotherhood um, of Jews. Um, and we may not be ethnically Jewish, but again, we are grafted into that branch. They are our brothers and sisters as they have uh, submitted themselves to believe by faith. Um, it doesn't mean that every single Jew in the world and every single Israelite in the world were like, yay, we need to support what you do. But the just um, Israel as a whole, still God's people, but Amy, there's a lot of people who say that, oh, well, the church has replaced that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that theology? Yeah, and you kind of touched on it a little bit. Is mm -hmm. this challenge that, well, maybe the old or the New Testament church, when it came into being, that this has now replaced the Old Testament promises to the Jews that God made. And this is a fun word called super uh, cessationalism. Super, super sessionism. Okay. So, but most um, people know it by replacement theology. Just say that one. If you really want to yes, replacement theology at a party, then say the other one. But yeah, exactly. replacement theology. <laughs> Fulfillment theology. Excuse me. Sometimes words are hard. You're so. like, that sounds like supersessionalism. In <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what you're supposed to drop at, at definitely a party. Yes, um, you definitely. Know, to really do your theology flex. And You'll so it's this idea, cool like we had said, that the New Testament church replaced Israel and that God's promises are now fulfilled with the New Testament church. And so this is really attractive because what this kind of means is that, well, then all those promises to the Jews are completely invalidated. This yeah. war is completely unnecessary and God doesn't really have any other future plans with Israel. However, that's not actually true. That's not what we see within scripture. So yeah. biblical truth, what we're seeing when we're focusing in on the scripture is that there is a definite distinction between the Jews and the New Testament church. And mm -hmm. so the New Testament church, if you look throughout the book of Acts, it started with the, uh, the morning of Pentecost, and that's the establishment of the New Testament church. And so God's covenant and his promises are still rooted within the Jews and Israel. There's still promises there. However, his focus Focus, especially for evangelism and outreach, is now being put on the New Testament church. So one has not replaced the other. There is mm -hmm. this distinction. And even in Romans, it says the phrase over and over, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So it still is including the salvation message for the Jews. And we got to remember, people, our first Christians were all Jewish. <laughs> um, you know, like all, all of the apostles were Jewish. And so... Um, yeah, it is for the Jew and the Gentile. Now we know in the in the eternal kingdom, there is no Jew or Gentile. But in terms of um, just as a people group, he's not like, oh, y'all are, it's, it's, you know, don't worry about the, you know, Jew, Christian, same thing. No, it, it's, there's still a distinction. But again, there's that grafting in. So it, it's like, and if anybody is not convinced about this, I just went through uh, one particular passage in Romans and picked out a lot of the salient passages on this. And so this, we're going to do Romans 11 verses 1, 11, 
17 through 21 and verses 24. So this will um, all be in the show notes. We will include all all those passages. (laughs) Yeah, don't don't worry about that. You can come and look at this later. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew and replaced them with the church. That's not in there. I'm just adding that in there. (laughs) Uh, so I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, it's through their trespass that salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So again, they are a separate people group that will be included. They are the original um, thing that we're being grafted into. Uh, if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, oh, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more then will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And I think it's interesting that it's talking about you have branches that are being broken off and then them being grafted back in as well. So it's one of those things where even if for a time Israel is is um, has really wandered away from the Lord, he's still saying my promises to Israel are forever. And even if that means they were broken off for a period of time, they will be grafted back in just as the Gentiles were grafted in. And since they were part of that original cultivated tree, it's like we, we can't act like we're better than them. Um, yeah. And that that forever is great because it's reinforced even within the promises of Revelation because 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17 really points out that God's going to restore Israel at the end times. And so if the New Testament church took the place of Israel, then how (laughs) could it be restored if it already replaced it? Yeah. But we see this here, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So any fallen asleep references, that's just anyone who's died. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, that the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever. So Mm. this restoration is an absolutely beautiful process, and it's that fulfillment of the covenant that God promised way, way back with Abraham. Yeah. One of the things I would also mention is whenever you see a lot of the um, promises to specifically for the Jews, throughout the Old Testament, it is very, very common that it is also a promise for the land. The land and the people are like inextricable. 
throughout the Old Testament. And so that's not something that I think we as the church can just come and supersede. And, and that also brings us back to kind of this current, this current conflict is that we have two opposing, um, groups that both think that they were promised the land by God. And this is why we're going to be really, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, about the two state solution. Um, also, I, w- I just wanted to mention in, uh, Revelation, that when we have the new city of Jerusalem, which is going to be where God inhabits, that's where he inhabits with his people. The foundations of that city are the 12, it's 12 layers, which are the 12 apostles. That would be the church. However, the 12 gates to enter the city are the 12 tribes of Israel, three on each of the four sides. And so if the church had replaced Israel, we would not see them represented in that new Jerusalem. So I, I'm, I'm hoping you can see um, throughout all of this, just because this is a really insidious theology that I, I think has made the round that we really need to guard ourselves against. Because once we say that God's promises to Israel are not literal and can be transferred, then we have to say God's promises to us are not literal and can be transferred. And that is absolutely something that can cause someone to, to have doubts about their Christian faith. Well, maybe God has decided to reject me too now. Um, and so we, we need to know that when God says forever, he means forever. So that's the first question of why should Christians care? Like, shouldn't we uh, stay out of politics? Not when it comes to God's chosen people, we shouldn't. Not when it comes to children, not when it comes to God's chosen people. There are certain things we need to get involved with. So the next question we have is people asking, what's, what is going on with all these protests on college campuses regarding Palestine? So Amy, why don't you talk a little bit about this? And do we want to play that Instagram um, about what it means to ally or should we, should we just link to it? Um, if you want to play it, I, I'm game for it. Okay. So uh, t- tell us what's going on and I'll see if I can pull up the, the video for that of what this means to ally for Palestine. Yeah, so what's really interesting about these college campuses are, of course, the the rise in these protests, but then the motivation behind them. And what's interesting is that we kind of see this social justice standard now being applied to Palestine and Hamas. They're being used interchangeably and with the same standards. Describe what you mean by the social justice standard. So when we're talking about social justice is we're talking about this critical race theory. It's all under this umbrella of how do we uh, uplift those who are oppressed Mm -hmm. and basically bring justice to those who are the oppressors. And so this sounds like a great thing until you start asking the pointed questions of, okay, what do we mean by oppression? What do we mean by... Who's the most oppressed? That's the competition that's going on right now. Who is the most oppressed? And whoever that is, no matter what's going on, that's who you're supposed to ally with. Absolutely. And one thing that we are seeing when uh, Hillary and I were looking at TikToks, uh, because that's where a lot of this activism is happening, it's via social media. So Mm. what can go wrong with TikTok activism, right? And the problem with TikTok activism is they very rarely clarify their terms. Mm. They're hyper emotional in focus. And it's very cult-like in nature, which we often see within social justice of you have to embrace, endorse, promote, and defend our cause. Otherwise, you're against us, you're part of the problem, and now we need to take out our, we need to bring justice against you. And so you're either for or against. I mean, there is no middle ground here. And one of the most problematic things we saw, especially on this one TikTok video, was this gal said that you, for one, you have to be silent 
you cannot, you, you have to listen, which we're all for at mama bear. We should listen to all sides. However, what this girl was saying is that you need to be completely silent. You need to just accept everything we're telling us or we're telling you as true and good. And you cannot, which we found most troubling. You cannot question the tactics we use to achieve our end goal. Okay. So here's what she says what some semblance of revolution looks like for us and you're not listening you don't care for our liberation if you have conditions for what our resistance looks like you are not an ally if you would prefer to hear yourself speak rather than make space for us to share our stories and speak as experienced experts in our own oppression and share how that trauma has been carried within all of us throughout the diaspora you are not an ally. If we are to assume that you recognize Palestinians as a marginalized and occupied people and you are not centering us or our struggle in your wishes for peace on the internet, you are not an ally. There are so many of you who need to learn how to hold back your tongues so that you can listen to people who are directly affected. There are also so many of you who think that you are smarter than us, that you have some sort of stronger moral compass than us. You share neutral posts by non-Palestinians widely all over the internet, and you think that you're doing your part. And I want you to know that you are only further harming us. We're asking that you take a seat, choose to listen, and amplify and share our voices and our content instead. I promise you, you do not know our struggle, nor do you know our liberation better than we do. Let's kind of break that down a little bit. First off, Aim, she's talking about us, that yeah. we're the ones that need to sit down and shut up. But it, it's a, I, I think one of the most telling things is you're not allowed to put limits on what our resistance looks like. What yeah. that means, uh, you're not allowed to put limits. It means we can do whatever we want if that's what we need to do in order to fight this oppression and to fight this occupation. Yeah, the um, ends justify the means. The ends justify the means. And uh, unless you are just totally on board with everything, then you are not actually an ally. Yeah, there's no dialogue that's allowed to happen with, with no that statement. It's just you have to listen and you have to promote our voices specifically and our mm-hmm. solutions specifically because only we can be the experts. And, you know, depending on your experiences, yes, you are an expert in your own subjective experience, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're an overarching expert. And there could be things that we've misinterpreted, that we've gotten wrong, that perhaps our own perception and how we've been raised has prevented us from considering other sides. But yet none Mm -hmm. of this, it appears from this TikTok video that we're allowed to even question. Yeah. And if you if you talk to any psychologist who deal with trauma, one of the things that they know is what can seem really traumatic for one kid, another kid doesn't even notice. And the way we perceive something becomes the way we interpret the reality of what happened, even if that's not the reality of what happened. So this idea of relying on experience to determine reality isn't always the case. That's why we need people around us to say, hey, was I seeing that correctly? But um Absolutely. Anyway, that's that's taking place. But I just want to uh, mention something from the Hamas Charter, which uh, is really their kind of constitution. Um, in Article 15, it says everyone has to be involved to include the media, youth, etc. It is necessary that scientists, educators, educators and teachers, information and media people, as well as the educated masses, especially the youth and sheiks, of the Islamic movement should take part in the operation of awakening 
the masses. So this is especially why we see this going on in college campuses is because they very much are targeting the schools. They're targeting the media. They're targeting all the places, all just all the institutions where you get information from, and they're targeting the youth. And so that's why we see so many young people that are being kind of groomed almost into believing. Like uh, Amy and I have gone through this Hamas charter, and I swear so much of the verbiage sounds like it's straight out of the 1920s, 30s, and 40s from World War II, describing the Jews and basically how evil they are. Um, that if you've been brought up believing that this is who Israel is, then they are the oppressors. And according to critical theory, you have to align and ally with whoever is the most oppressed. But whoever's the most oppressed definitely depends on who the media, who your professors, and who um, the educational system is telling you is the most oppressed. And what I don't think a lot of these college individuals are are realizing is that while they think they're advocating for Palestine, because that's a lot of the verbiage there is, oh, we're fighting for the liberation of Palestine. (laughs) That's not exactly the motive of Hamas. Hamas, their ultimate goal is to is to establish a Muslim theocracy, not just within Palestine, but I mean, everywhere they can. And Mm -hmm. so Palestine, it's kind of a, it's kind of a front to what the actual agenda is, which is establishing a Muslim theocracy, which if you've been paying attention to any of the political debates going on, they're absolutely terrified of a Christian theocracy putting it being put (laughs) into place. I promise you a Muslim theocracy is way worse than anything that you can come up with. But that's what's that's what's ultimately the goal. And so many of these students too, during the interviews, they're asked, okay, what is the issue? And they're kind of fumbling. They're like, well, you know, there's oppression and it's bad. And there's no sort of deeper comprehension to where we're seeing kind of this bandwagon approach, which with our kids, what we really want to do, especially if you've got college age kids, high school age kids, I mean, they're, they're impassioned, they're, they're looking for a revolution. And so it's okay, but we need to take time to stop and say, okay, what are we actually fighting for? And Unfortunately, it requires a lot, a lot, a lot of digging. I mean, we've been, we've been really digging into so many resources for hours and hours, uh, this yep. past week and we're, we're barely scratching the surface. And so, you know, it's that story of, well, there's always three sides to every story. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when it comes to the media and different perspectives with this issue, particularly, it's more like 3000 different yes. views. And so yep. you, to really understand things, you're going to have to dig deep. And so often this is what we're not seeing on these campuses. It's just, no, let's go along with this. Let's wave a banner. Let's protest because we want to fight against oppression. But how many are asking, wait a second, what actually is the oppression that's being accused? Mm-hmm. So interesting you said that. I, I was reminded today, my my dad has a friend that he's been trying to get to read the Mama Bear book for like four years now, and he finally did. And he sent my dad a picture of this one um, line from the linguistic theft chapter that I think fits perfectly with what we have going on, where it's talking about linguistic theft. One of the things it does is blurs the details. Uh, not sure what everyone is so upset, at, upset about. You've probably seen linguistic theft in action. What exactly constitute a crisis or a war or bigotry or intolerance or violence or in this case or oppression or occupation? Um, If you hear a buzzword and you're left thinking, okay, what actually happened? Uh, You are probably dealing with propaganda, not actual information. The buzzwords give the illusion of offering information, but the real purpose for using such words is it allows people to use their imaginations and fill in the details with what they think it means. Uh, So that's on page 67 of 
the first book. Um, and I think when we're using the words like oppression and occupation, that really is what's going on uh, is people kind of have in their mind of what they think happened. And I, I also want to add this because this is one of the things that I think we could be, um, I don't want to say accused of, but we want to recognize that there are a lot of things that Palestinians do to Israel's, Israelis, Israelis. <laughs> and there are a lot of things that Israelis do to Palestinians that are all evil. And so what we are interested in looking at here isn't necessarily what the average man's doing to the average man. It's what the people in power think is fair and just and acceptable to do to the other nations. Because that it's like when we're dealing with governmental levels of what is acceptable, that's the issue because you're always going to have people who act like evil people. And so sometimes people say, well, Israel has done X, Y, Z when what they're talking about is, is uh, Israelis have done certain things, but not necessarily the Israeli um, military or the Israeli government. Or the flip side, if there's certain um, Palestinians that have done certain things, where is has this been sanctioned by their government or were they acting on their own? So I, I just wanted to recognize that. And so that this is one of those areas where if you are aware of things that Israel as the nation has done that was sanctioned by the nation, except for just things in war, which we don't have time to go into the fact that they're hiding terrorist operations underneath hospitals. Like, what do you do at that point? And, um, and you know, how Israel goes and they basically knock on doors and put out pamphlets, say, get out, we're about to bomb. Um, but things still happen. We, we don't have time to go into all that. We just need to talk about it. If you have another perspective on this, we would like to hear it. But finally, we're starting to run out of time. Question three, why can't we negotiate a two-state solution? So uh, It seems such can, an easy answer. It seems like such an easy answer. Um, and what is the chant, Amy, that uh, that a lot of the Palestinian uh, protesters are, are chanting? Uh, oh, from the, from the river to the seas? Mm -hmm. From the river to the seas, Palestine will be free. Palestine will um, be free. And that just basically and, means a complete obliteration of Israel as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, this is where we're actually going. We're going to go real briefly into this. And Amy and I would like to know if you want us to do a deep dive into the charter for Hamas to see what is it that we're actually dealing with? What are people aligning with that they may not realize? But we're not going to do this until, unless a bunch of people are like, yes, please do this, because this might be a little too much for, for our mama bears to be interested in. Amy and I can nerd out on it. But we just want to read. It's like we don't believe in going to what other people are saying about an organization. We think going to the horse's mouth to see what they say about themselves is uh, is one of the main things. So first, Amy, tell us, what are the three no's? Whenever they have talked about any kind of Middle East peace negotiations, what are the three no's that um, that Palestine has basically set their foot down on? Yeah, and, and it should be said that Israel has tried to achieve peace with Palestine. I think it's like, what, five times officially mm -hmm. that this yeah. has occurred. But there are three no's that constantly get in the way of any sort of peace deal. Because, you know, parents, right, for us, the solution is, oh, you're fighting over a toy, take turns. You're fighting over a cookie, divide it in half. Well, yeah. that cannot come with the land of Palestine because of these three no's, which are no peace, no recognition and no negotiations. No peace, of course, meaning that they will not rest until they achieve their goal. No recognition means they will not recognize Israel as a state. And no negotiations meaning there's not going to be any sort of peace talks even entertained. It's seen as uh, within their charter as a waste of time. Yep. 
And I'm trying to find in our document here who it was that came up with the three no's. Do you remember that? Oh, it was in 1967 that it was basically uh, solidified as these three no's, and I'm blanking on the name, but we can... Okay, 1967, the Arab League Summit. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so it says uh, the the 67 Arab League Summit ha- happens, and they agree on Khartoum, Sudan, Sudan as... Um, and then they come up with the three no's, no peace, no recognition, no negotiations. Let's see. Um, we can provide, yep, yep, we can provide a UN document for that, documenting that. Um, I'm going to put that in the podcast notes real quick before I forget. Um, so these are the three no's. So tell me how hard it would be to negotiate with someone who's basically says no peace, no recognition, no negotiation. So we're going to go to the actual horse's mouth on this Hamas charter and See, maybe why we're, it's going to be difficult to have a uh, two-state solution. So the answer, uh, so first off, um, the Gaza, Gaza was, a, a, I think, um, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, was uh, Israel-owned land up until, I think, 2007 when they pulled out. Immediately, Hamas came in, uh, elected themselves. I think they had an actual election, got elected as the as the governing body, and they have not had an election since 2007. They said, nope, this is ours now. Um, so the Hamas covenant, uh, the, so the Hamas is who is in charge of Palestinian government right now, uh, took over. So in the intro, here's the intro. We're just going to go through a couple things that reiterate. If this is like your constitution, this is why we're never going to have a two-state solution. Intro, quote, Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. So, so we clearly need to, the motivation. Clearly, yes, you know, exactly. Um, yeah, that, that's, that doesn't sound like uh, someone you can negotiate with. I think later on, we didn't include this in the document, it says the only way to fight iron is with iron. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I, I don't think talking is in the cards for them. Actually, they come out and say it. So uh, we need to know that uh, Hamas is very much, it's an Islamic resistance movement, and it's one of the wings of the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, That's in Article 2. So Article 7, the day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight the Jews, killing the Jews, when the Jew will hide behind stones and trees. And then I think it's, it's a quote from the Quran where it says, you know, except for this one tree where if a Jew is hiding behind it, he's, he's going to be like, there's a Jew over here. Um, Article 11. The Islamic resistance movement believes that the land of Palestine is an Islamic, pronounce that word, Amy. Oh, gosh. Uh, walk. Walk. I, think yeah, I believe that's dub- how it's pronounced. We we looked it up earlier. Um <laughs> But it's a wap, uh, which means that it's it's a it's like a donation. Woof, maybe a woof. woof. Yeah, woof. So Islamic woof uh, consecrated for future generations until Judgment Day. So he's saying Palestine is consecrated for Muslims until Judgment Day. It. This is the really important part. It or any part of it should not be squandered. It or any part of it should not be given up. As for the real ownership of the land and the land itself, it should be consecrated for Muslim generations till Judgment Day. So they're saying just the reason why we know the land is ours is because the land is ours and it's going to be ours until Judgment Day. Um, And there is no negotiation on that. You are not allowed to give up any part of the land without kind of going against this charter, Um, which goes into the three no's, no peace, no recognition, no negotiations. So 
here's where people say, but surely we can have peace negotiations. They've tried so many times. Well, let's look at what they actually say about peace negotiations in Article 13. Initiatives and so-called peaceful solutions and international conferences are in contradiction to the principles of the Islamic resistance movement. There is no solution for the Palestinian question except through jihad. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are all a waste of time and vain endeavors. You got to hand it to them for being clear. (laughs) Actually, I'm really thankful for that. That is one of the nice things. It's like they don't make you guess. Now, one of the interesting things in this document is it goes back and forth between, you know, kill everybody, no, no, you know, no peace, no anything. And then it talks about how, oh, but we're going to be so tolerant. The only place for lots of different religions to coexist is under Islam. And then, but kill everybody that's over. It's, it's a really weird, it's a really interesting document. So we could roar through this whole thing if people want to. If you if we only get like four people that are like, yeah, do it, we probably won't do it. But if there's a ton of people that say, yes, please do this, we will do that. Um, and if you're one of the f- four and that's all we get, sorry, you know, we'll maybe Amy and I'll do a little personal. We'll have, call the, with we'll you. have the link and you can read the document. There and- you go. There you go. We'll do that. So, Amy, let's let's bring this around to you. Let's take each one of these around and say, how is this something that either we should be addressing with our kids? What's some questions that our kids might have and why is it important for their faith? So the concept of why Israel should matter to Christians. Like, how is this an apologetic issue for kids? This is an apologetic issue for kids is because when we look at God's covenant and his promise, it proves and models his faithfulness. So this Mm -hmm. actually reaffirms aspects of the nature of God. And so when we look at his promises, this not only says, yes, kiddos, you can put your trust and faith in God, but it also affirms that when there are trials and tribulations that we don't have to fear because ultimately the victory is God's as well. Mm -hmm. So again, we can point back to his faithfulness as well. So this gives great opportunities to really affirm the nature of God and that he does have plans. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is all powerful to where we can put our faith and trust in him. And that can be really comforting to kids, especially Mm -hmm. when on the news, all they're seeing is war. It is very yeah. concerning to kids. So make sure you're checking in with them as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'd be kind of also like if your kid heard you say to somebody, thank you for this gift, I'm never going to throw this away. And then a week later, they see you throw it away. Next time they give you a gift and you're like, thank you, I'm never going to throw this away. What are they immediately going to think? They're going to think, yeah, yeah, right. That's going to end up in the yeah. trash. Exactly. And so when we hear God say, I will be your God forever, I will make an everlasting covenant, and then later on be like, mm, never mind, that that introduces insecurity. So this is an apologetics issue. Now, in terms of what's going on in college campuses and, and, and in terms of critical theory, what do you think we should kind of do based on different age groups, Amy? So when it comes to kids, like the real little kids, uh, elementary mm-hmm. school age, we always want to be affirming the foundational. And so not only looking into theology and the nature of God, but also with small kids, definitions are really important. Yes. And just teaching them good critical thinking questions, which we mm-hmm. we love Greg Kokel's tactics. Uh, these are just great questions that even your young kids can ask. Yeah. And my middle schooler, he actually had this happen. He's eighth grade. And he had a kid at lunch that was talking about this issue. And was saying, no, we need to support Palestine. And my son just asked him, well, why do we need to be supporting Palestine? What does that entail? The kid couldn't even answer the question. So Mm -mm. just him being able to ask 
good questions. And that's what we yes. need to be encouraging with our kids. What do you mean by oppression? What do you mean by, <laughs> what do you mean by support? How are we supposed to support mm-hmm. Palestine? Mm-hmm. That can really expose maybe some faulty thinking or assumptions, or maybe just uh, uh, somebody who's spouting a a bumper sticker that they have seen or retweeting, reposting something. Yep, exactly. Um, and then finally, how do we need to address this idea of... Um, not being able to negotiate a two-state solution. And actually, I'm going to pop in here and answer my own question a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Do it. (laughs) Uh, This is a spiritual issue. This is absolutely a spiritual issue because we have two groups that both say that God has given them the land, that both say that they are the descendants of the promise, Ishmael and Isaac. Um, that this is one of those things where you hear from, like like in our pluralism chapter where it talks about, you know, Everybody can be right. You know, religious pluralism, oh, all paths lead to the same God. All religions basically teach the same thing. Um, it can't be both. It, it can't be that Islam is the only way and Christianity is the only way. So this kind of shows them that it, it's like we need to be understanding. We need to discuss with people. But there are going to be certain people that there is no reasoning with. There's no talking with. There is no solution in terms of just negotiating something. And this will happen even on the playground, uh, whereas sometimes kids, uh, adults act like, well, kids can always just work it out. There are sometimes that they just can't. Um, but and so this is just kind of a good basic life lesson that not everything can be talked through. You have to have two parties willing to talk through things. If you get a chance to look up what was offered at the Camp David, um, what's it called? The Camp David what? Um, uh, It was one of the peace negotiations. Um, Israel was literally willing to give up somewhere between like 90 and 98% of what Palestine wanted. It it was turned down literally because of those three no's, no negotiation, no recognition, no peace. It's not about the land. Sometimes what kids think the problem is, it's not about that problem. There is a spiritual issue going on. There are two spirits that are at war and we are caught in the middle. Yeah. No, and I I was just going to affirm that I I love that you encourage pointing out the spiritual warfare going on because I think that is one aspect and we've talked about this before. That's an aspect that the church often shies away from affirming is it, there are yeah. spiritual battles at play. So when we can affirm that in our kiddos, they can see no this isn't just a battle between two nations. This is spiritual. It's been affirmed within scripture, but we've also been told the result of what that battle is and it's victory through Christ. Yes, absolutely. So um I hope that helps um, if there's anything else you're wanting to know on this, we, you know, feel free to ask questions, send us uh, messages. Amy and I have been really diving into this at least, you know, for the past week. So we're like totally experts now. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, we, we just try to get to some of the, the bear brass of what's, what's really going on, how to address this. So Amy, will you pray for our mama bears, especially the ones whose kids are either being swayed into, um, maybe, getting into the politics of this, maybe in an unhealthy way as long, and as well as the kids that are just starting to be afraid that, you know, we're about to see World War Three. Oh yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Father God, we are so grateful that, you know, the, the end from the beginning. And we just want to lift up our, our mama bears and specifically our kids because they, these messages are not going over their heads. They are seeing it. And there is just talk that this could be the next war. This could be the, the big one that ends up happening. And father, there's so much fear in that and concern, even that, even stuff that our kids are going through that they might not even be vocalizing. So I just pray that you will help the moms and dads out there to be perceptive of their children and how they're reacting to this situation. I pray for you to 
to open doors for them to have conversations and discussions with their kids, that you will inspire them, Holy Spirit, to do emotional check-ins as well as intellectual check-ins with their kids, that you will give them opportunities to nurture good critical thinking so that they can learn skills just to have good dialogue. They don't have to have all the answers, Father, but if they can have a good conversation, then perhaps... um, perhaps uh, fog can be cleared or relationships can be nurtured, Lord, because our our world is is trying so hard to be polarized, to divide, to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And we know, Lord, that that is just a tactic of the enemy to try and sway yes. us from you and to destroy this nation. But Lord, you have already overcome the battle. So I just thank you, Father, for going ahead of us. And I pray that you will bring wisdom to our military leaders so that they will be able to make righteous decisions, Lord, because they're not going to be able to make that apart from you. In your holy name, amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, mama bears. We are all in this together.